This man sacrificed weeks of his life. He put his life at risk, almost dying from some sort of illness. And he was willing to endure that sickness and finish the trip. When he got sick, he didn't just turn tail and go back home. He didn't just completely forget about his, act, his, uh, his goal and his, his mission. He endured that sickness and went all the way. Bibles to Philippians, but we'll read the passage later so you don't have to put the uh, scripture passage yet. Sound But Philippians, so turn with me to the book of Philippians, and specifically in chapter 2. Now I'm glad I'm able to preach tonight. You know, without everybody else, I got the, the, the flu, the, the cold as well this last week. Perfect timing with my birthday and all. So every single birthday dinner I had, I could barely taste what I was eating. So, <laughs> but it's okay. Now, every time, <clears throat> every time I order something from, from Amazon, and I'm, a, I'm an avid customer of Amazon, probably the number one fan, I'm truly amazed at how, at how privileged we are here in Canada. Whenever we need something, whatever it is, there's a high chance that Amazon probably has it. They just, I don't know where they get their items, I don't know how it works, but it's just like a, a magical website. When you need something, you check Amazon, and there's a great probability that Amazon will sell whatever it is you're looking for. Now, what's great is that once you find the product that you want, once you find the product that you're searching for, all you gotta do is you press the button, buy now, and the next time you open your front door, your package will just magically appear in front of you. It is in incredibly fast. We don't have to scrounge around. We don't have to even exert any effort. When we want something delivered to us, it's as, it's as, it's as simple as pressing buy now and it's getting delivered to your house. Now, I may be exaggerating, the speed in which, we deliver, in which we receive these packages. But the truth is, when we order something these days online, a lot of times we get it within the next day. With Amazon Prime, you can get it within the next 12 hours. It's actually amazing. Sometimes I would order something at the midnight, and the next day before I even leave for work, it's already in my, in my front door, which is kind of suspicious. But... We live in a world where the, these packages are just delivered instantaneously. We live in a nearly instantaneous world. And another example of this is seen in how we communicate with others. Everybody that we care about, everybody that we know, they're just one call or one text away, right? If you want to talk to, if you have a husband, if you have a wife, you want to talk to them, you simply take your cell phone, you, you either send them a quick text message or you can just dial their number and you can be in, in contact with them immediately. That's how fast it is to communicate with one another. If you have something to tell your friend, you have some exciting news to tell your friend or, your, or, your, or the pastor or whoever it may be, you can just quickly call them and there is no sacrifice on your part. We don't have to go to great lengths. We don't have to put ourselves in danger. We don't have to spend days traveling in order to send a message to somebody else. But in biblical times, they didn't have, the, obviously, the technology that we have today. They didn't have the Amazon Primes. They didn't have Facebook Messenger. They didn't have SMS. They didn't have all of these forms of, of, uh, of online communication that we had today. 
When they needed to deliver and send a message to somebody else, to a Christian in, in the other side of the country, in the other side of the nation, when they needed to deliver, send a message, there was great sacrifice on their part. This wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just merely text messaging them and then, the, and then it would just automatically come to their doorstep. No, they had to take their time, take time out of their lives and deliver that message and take that journey to, uh, to that person. And today I want us to look at this, the life of a certain messenger that we find in the New Testament. Someone who, his job, his role in the Bible was to deliver a message. And we see that in chapter 2, verse 24 in verse 25, and we'll just, uh, may I ask all, all of you to stand as we read these two verses, and then I'll ask you to sit down shortly after. But Philippians 2, verses 24 and 25, and may I ask you all to read it out loud with me together. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. You may now take your seats. Everybody knows who the Apostle Paul is. Everybody knows the extent of his ministry. Everybody knows how powerful he was and how God used him in the New Testament. But obviously, very few of us are, know Epaphroditus in a great manner. We don't know what he did. We don't know the type of character that he had. We don't know what type of attitude that he displayed in, in the passages that he's mentioned in. And though he's only mentioned by name three times in the Bible, in the Bible, there's a lot that we can learn from the brief excerpts that we see of Epaphroditus. And this is a great way, I encourage you all to do this, to do a character study. You know, sometimes it's a bit daunting to do a character study on a guy like Elijah or King David because there's a lot being said about that individual. But with a guy like Epaphroditus, he's only mentioned by name three times in the entire Bible. The first one of them was mentioned by Pastor White earlier in Philippians chapter 4. But the other times, the other two times he's mentioned is only in Philippians chapter 2. So it's very easy to see everything that Epaphroditus did. And easy, very easy to study his life. Again, I believe we can learn a lot from his short testimony as it relates to our Christian walk and even our faith promise giving. And let's just open our, uh, close our eyes for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank Lord for this message that you've laid on my heart on the example and the testimony of Epaphroditus. And even though he's only briefly mentioned in the biblical narrative, I believe that his attitude and his, his personality and what he displayed in this brief appearance uh, can teach us, the modern-day believers, uh, a whole lot of truth, Lord. So I just pray that you speak through me as I, as I teach on, on his life, and I pray that these principles that will be highlighted, uh, that you would bring them to mind to those who are listening in the congregation today. And I pray that you would speak to their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now look with me here in Philippians 2.25. To give, sorry, to give a brief context as to what Paul is referring to, essentially at this moment in time, the believers had heard that the Apostle Paul had been imprisoned. Right? They had heard that he was under house arrest. We see that instance, again recorded in Acts 28.30 of him being uh, under house arrest. 
And there might even be a, a, a there, there is a potential that they might, might have even heard that Paul had been shipwrecked not too long ago. Again, it was a, a blessing that no one died. There was no casualty in that shipwreck. But most likely, the Apostle Paul would have lost most of his possessions. The Apostle Paul wasn't a man who had a lot of possessions. He, again, all the apostles kind of traveled light and carried very little with them. But nevertheless, what he did have, the things that he did own, were most likely lost in that shipwreck. And all of these things that happened to the Apostle Paul, word uh, travels fast back then. The believers in Philippi heard about this. The fact that he was under house arrest, the fact that he was shipwrecked, and that he probably had no possessions to his name. They heard about this situation. They heard about the hard uh, situation that their missionary was in. And after hearing of his situation, again, the, the believers in Philippi were very loving, were very giving, so they desired to send him a gift. Again, in our day and age, when we want to send a gift, these days we don't even have to go to their house and deliver it to their door. There's an, there's an option in Amazon that you can deliver it to their house and it will be a gift. You don't even have to take the gift and give it to them yourself. But they don't, they didn't, the, the believers didn't have that at the time. They had to take the gift that they wanted to give to the Apostle Paul and deliver and make that journey. Now the Church of Philippi, Again, an entire sermon can be spent on just talking about them and how loving they were to their missionary, specifically the missionary Paul. They not only prayed for Paul, but they desired to send financial aid and other practical gifts to him. This gift that they wanted to send out to Paul, to the Apostle Paul, someone had to volunteer for the task of being the messenger. Whether it was Epaphroditus who volunteered or whether um, the people of Philippi volunteered him, at the end of the day, we know that Epaphroditus was the messenger chosen for the job, to deliver the gift to Paul. And it may have been the fact that maybe he was the dedicated messenger in the church. Whenever they needed to deliver something, they, they went to Epaphroditus and he did the job. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why am I spending so long in belaboring this point of him being a messenger? Well, the act of delivering a message back then was just not easy. This was a delivery from Philippi all the way to Rome. This was a trip that is well over 800 miles. If you had a car and you traveled on average at 50 miles per hour, this trip would take you a minimum of 16 hours. That's about the, the, the length of time it would take to drive from here all the way to California. It's a lengthy journey. Even, with, even if you have a car, it's a lengthy journey. It's a good substantial amount of time. But without a car, they didn't have a car back then, this is not just a 16-hour trip anymore. During the time, it, this particular trip took over seven weeks or 49 days to complete, over a month and a half of, of walking or, or traveling in order to just deliver a simple gift to the Apostle Paul. A 49-day journey. Even if you don't just look at the length of the trip, and it's a substantial distance to cover, there were so many other factors that made traveling back then difficult. The biggest one were these people known as highwaymen. They were bandits. There were certain roads that the, the, the Empire of Rome built, 
And they knew which ones would have a lot of traffic. They knew which ones would have a lot of people, a lot of civilians, a lot of tourists, you could say, walking past it. And they would weigh, they would lie wait, and they would wait for a single lone travel, traveler. They would jump him. They would steal everything that he had. They would beat him up and steal all of their belongings. This was a very real risk when it came to messengers. On top of this, the messenger had to keep exhaustion and provisions in mind. Even, he, even if he traveled on horseback, again, I've never ridden a horse. It's one of my things in my bucket list that I want to do is to ride a horse. But from what I heard, especially if you're a beginner, riding on horseback is quite exhausting. Even if you are just, it's not the same as riding in a car and it's a very smooth sailing all the way to your destination. It is exhausting and it takes a toll on your body. David Brainerd said the exact same thing when he would travel on horseback. So he had to, there was the risk of bandits. There was the risk of over-exhaustion. There was the, the worry of finding provision. Again, he, he was a messenger. It's not like he could carry an entire caravan of supplies that can feed himself. As, the journey, as he made the journey, he had to pray and ask God, God, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to drink today? Where am I going to get my provisions? There were so many facets and, and uh, factors in delivering a message that made it so difficult at those times. Again, we, don't, we didn't live during this era, but we can only speculate how difficult it must have been to complete this trip. And we can only speculate about all the obstacles that Epaphroditus had to overcome. But the difficulty of the trip and the obstacles you face were summarized in that one word of being a messenger. As a messenger, these are all the things, the, the typical obstacles that a messenger had to face whenever they needed to deliver something. The role of a messenger wasn't a lofty role. This wasn't, uh, it wasn't being under the spotlight. They were in the, you could, you could say that they weren't the superstars of the, of the church. This was not a lofty role, this was a minor role. Epaphroditus was not a pastor of a church. He wasn't an elder in the church. He wasn't a deacon either that we know of. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles that ministered alongside Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus was just a messenger. In verse 25 it says, your messenger. This is Philippi's messenger. In the grand scheme of the biblical narrative, his role, Epaphroditus' role, is minor. Very small. You could omit this passage, or you can skip over this passage in the great narrative. It's not really going to change. Epaphroditus, very minor role. But though he didn't have an important role, we ought to recognize his willingness to be involved in a ministry that I assumed very few were willing to be involved in. I would assume that church members back then weren't lining up to be because they wanted to be a, a messenger. Every single trip required them to sacrifice their well-being, sacrifice months, of, months, weeks of their life to just delivering this simple package. I could very much understand why people wouldn't want to be involved in this ministry. You don't get a lot of praise for it. You don't get a lot of people uh, 
complimenting you because you did a good job of delivering the message. It is a very minor role. But Epaphroditus was willing to be involved in it. Such is the ministry, in my opinion, as Faith Promise Missions. For the longest time, when, especially when I was a teenager, when the topic of faith promise giving would come. <clears throat> and as a teenager, obviously, I didn't have a job. And I would be very hesitant to give to faith promise. Why? Because of the fact, okay, if I did participate in faith promise missions, I would be only able to give a small amount of money. and I would think to myself, $10, $20, is that money really going to help anybody? Is this insignificant money, is this small amount of money really going to help anybody? And unfortunately, a lot of times back in my teenage years, because I had that mentality that my contribution would be insignificant or that it would be minor, I would choose not to partake in the Faith Promise Mission. I would leave it to the adults. I would say, the adults, they have a full-time job. They can give a a, a significant uh, figure that can actually help people around the country. But my small pittance of money that I had is not going to affect anybody, so I'm not going to partake. It's insignificant. It's minor. You know, God isn't looking for us to give more than the person sitting beside us. It's not a competition. We're not trying to outflex each other or outgive each other. That's not what God wants from us. He just wants us to be willing to give. Even if we think that our contribution is insignificant or minor in the grand scheme of things. Even if you think that the, the money that you've dedicated and promised monthly, weekly, or annually, even if you think that that figure is insignificant. Even if you think that that figure is so small that it might not even help any missionary, don't think that way. Because God is just wanting you to be involved and willing to give to this great cause of supporting missionaries worldwide. It is a very unpopular ministry, this, the, the ministry of faith promise giving. And I, again, I'm not going to belabor this point because Pastor White covered this from all angles. But when you add tithing and all the other things that we do, a lot of people are hesitant to, be, to further involve themselves with faith promise giving. They don't want to give any more of their money. But we have to start learning to be willing. Just like Epaphrodite was willing to serve, even if, his, even if the ministry that he was in was very insignificant and very minor, he was willing, and that's all that mattered. And he was praised and he blessed other people because of the fact that he was willing If you are sitting here tonight and you've decided to withhold from faith promise simply because you think the, the, the figure in your mind is too insignificant, then reconsider. God just wants you to be willing and to be involved. Before He can start entrusting you with more, you must first be faithful with the least that He has given you. Luke 16.10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least, is unjust also in much. I'm very blessed, you know, because Pastor White sets a great example. 
He has given to faith promise ever since way back when, and he has continued to increase his giving. And it's very encouraging for me to give now because I have a, there's a great example for me to follow. And you know, God has allowed Pastor White to keep giving more. God has entrusted Pastor White with more because he's been faithful even when, all the way back then when he didn't have much. Be faithful with the, the small amount of money that God has given you and he will entrust you with more. Again, just as Epaphroditus was willing to serve as a minor messenger, we must also be willing to give, even if we deem our contributions to be minor. But look with me here in verse 26 to 27 for our second point. Thank you. Sorry, my throat is just drying up. Verse in verse 26 and verse 27, there's something that we can, something significant that we can find from that we can see about Epaphroditus is here. It says, For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick not unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, <clears throat> but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now it seems that during Epaphroditus, his name is a tongue twister sometimes, it seems that during his trip, to deliver the gift to Paul, Epaphroditus got sick. We don't know what the sickness was. A lot of commentators, thank you, believe that it would be, it might have been pneumonia because the trip that he took was somewhere around the winter time, winter season. So a lot of, spec, a lot of people speculate that he got pneumonia. But again, we can't be sure. All we know is that he got sick and this wasn't just a mild cold or a headache or anything, anything small. This was a sickness that almost killed Epaphroditus. To begin with, this was a very small role. He was just delivering a gift. He was just a minor role as a messenger. Now on top of that, he almost lost his life delivering this message. This sickness most likely derailed his return. It obviously slowed him down. He couldn't make the trip as quickly as he wanted to. And because of the delay in the delivery, word got back to Philippi. Word got back to his home church that he had become deathly ill. But this is what I wanted us to focus on, was his reaction. It said in verse um, 26, it said that he was full of heaviness. He was distressed. But he wasn't full of heaviness. He wasn't distressed because he got sick and he almost died. That's not the reason why he was distressed. It says, He was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. The reason why he was distressed and full of heaviness was because the believers in his home church had heard that he was sick and was worried about him, most likely. He was distressed and full of heaviness not because he was struck with a, a, an illness that almost killed him and took his life, but essentially he was full of heaviness because he didn't want the believers back home in Philippi to worry about him. What kind of reaction is that? He almost lost his life. He's, already, he's the one already 
risking his, his well-being to deliver a small gift and a small message. And he wasn't even full of heaviness because of his own present condition. He was, worried for, he was full of heaviness because of the people back home who was worrying for him. Even in his weakness, even in his time of struggle, Epaphroditus was thinking about others, not about himself. If we were put in this exact same situation, many of us would be upset. We would be thinking, why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to sacrifice my time? Why do I have to risk my life while you get to stay there back in Philippi and enjoy the comforts of home? Well, I almost die. I think many of us, when we were, if we were to be put in that exact same situation, our reaction would be filled with much more bitterness and anger. This bitterness was not seen in any of the things said about Epaphroditus. He wasn't angry at the church in Philippi. He wasn't angry at those who had sent him on this trip, on this journey. He was full of heaviness because he didn't want them to worry about him. In the first point, we see that he, Epaphroditus was a simple messenger. And from this instant, our second point is he had a selfless attitude. This instance shows his selflessness. Not only in this instance, but the fact that he was even willing to be a messenger. The fact that he volunteered himself for that role. Not only that, when he delivered the message and gift to the Apostle Paul, he didn't just hand it over to him and ran back all the way back to Philippi. He stayed with the Apostle Paul and ministered to him. While the Apostle Paul was under house arrest, Epaphroditus stayed with him and ministered to his wants. In verse 25, we see that he that ministered to my wants, Epaphroditus, served the Apostle Paul. He was so giving of himself. He gave his time, he gave his health, he gave his, his service to the others around him. He is such a blessing to the Apostle Paul. Look at how Paul describes him. My brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. In the short time that the Apostle Paul uh, dwelt with the Epaphroditus, they were able to form a close companionship that he even called him his brother. A fellow soldier. He saw the faithfulness of Epaphroditus. He probably saw the selflessness of Epaphroditus and was incredibly blessed by this humble messenger. This man sacrificed weeks of his life. He put his life at risk, almost dying from some sort of illness. And he was willing to endure that sickness and finish the trip. When he got sick, he didn't just turn tail and go back home. He didn't just completely forget about his, act, his, uh, his goal and his, his mission. He endured that sickness and went all the way. All because he prioritized others over himself. It was all due to his selflessness. And selflessness is at the root of faith promise giving. When we choose to give to faith promise, we are choosing to prioritize the lives of the missionaries that are serving all around the world rather than prioritizing our own self-interest. Instead of taking the, the money that we had promised to give to faith promise, we could 
be spending that on our hobby, maybe. We could be spending that on maybe buying more food. We could be spending that on to, to buy gifts for people. But we are choosing to deny our self-interest and prioritizing taking care of the missionaries around the world. At the root of faith promise giving is that attitude of selflessness. It is incredibly difficult to give, lovingly. That's the key phrase there. It is incredibly difficult to give lovingly and faithfully if you are not selfless. Selfish people will groan. Well, they will complain whenever it's time to give. And how do I know this? This has been one of my biggest weaknesses growing up. That's my dad. As the youngest one, as the youngest sibling, I was destined for selfishness. I had a lot of things handed to me that wasn't handed to my siblings. I was spoiled because I was the baby of the family. And this, because of all of that, I grew up to be a little bit more selfish than the average person, I would think. I'll be very hesitant to give to anything. And this attitude of selflessness is something that I'm always trying to pursue and acquire for myself and, and become a, a part of my character because, naturally, I'm not selfless. And people like me, at times when we were not relying on God's grace, we will groan, we will complain whenever it's time to give. Selflessness is the key in order for me and in order for you to give lovingly and faithfully to those who need it. That is the key attitude that we need, an attribute that we need. Selfless people will give while having a smile on their face, having no regrets. When they send that faith promise, when they send that envelope uh, into the, in the ushering bag, when they put it in the box, they're not crying inside. They're not regretting that they gave a certain amount. They're not regretting that. They're happy that they can help support financially these heroes of the faith. And honestly, I think the majority of us would be so much more willing to give to missionaries if you were aware of the situation that they find themselves in. If you read their missionary letters, you, find, you, you, you read about all of the, the tribulations that they face, read about all of the obstacles that they have to overcome, you would be so much more willing to give to them when you understand how difficult it is to be a missionary. Selflessness. To selfless people, what matters most to them is blessing the lives of those around them. Instead of asking, what's in it for me? They ask, how can I be a blessing to other people? And I think Epaphroditus embodied this attitude of selflessness. And so like Epaphroditus, let us strive to be selfless. And in the last point here, we find this in verse 29 and 30. This is the last description that the Apostle Paul uses to describe this messenger. It says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with, <clears throat> with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Key sentence there being verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. 
It's true. He was just a simple messenger that had a selfless attitude. But in this verse, we lastly see that he had a strong resolve. Resolve is the determination to do something. And all of us here tonight are resolved to do something. Some of us here tonight are, are resolved to finish school, to graduate school with top grades, to be at the top of the class. That, that's, our, that's what we are resolved to do. Some of us are resolved to get into our dream job, whatever that may be. You're resolved to get into that line and the occupation, and you are willing to do whatever in order to accomplish that, 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 that dream of yours. Many of the parents here, they're resolved to take care of their family's needs. That they will, they're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to sacrifice, and they are willing to work, work, work in order to supply for their children, in order to supply for their significant other. Some of you, maybe, are in that stage where you're resolved to find that special somebody. A lot of your life is kind of tailored towards finding that special somebody. Even the ambitionless are resolved to do something. In their case, they're resolved to live easy and comfortable lives. The matter of the fact is that we all are resolved and determined to do something, whatever it may be. We're all motivated towards one particular goal. And what was Epaphroditus resolved to do? He was resolved to do the work of Christ. He was resolved to serve God. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. I believe all of us are resolved to serve God. If you're a born-again believer, it's kind of hard to say, oh, I'm not resolved at all to serve God. I think all of us here can say that in some form or another, we are resolved to serve Him. But the question is, how strong is that resolve? How strong, everybody has a re, is resolved to serve God, but how strong is that resolve? Millions of people make New Year's resolutions. When the moment January hits, they make New Year's resolutions. And they resolve to make a change in their life in some form or, or, or fashion. They resolve to do something. They resolve to change their situation. But how many of those New Year's resolutions get dropped within the first month? How strong was their resolve that they were able to drop their resolutions within the first month? There's a reason why gym membership spike in January, but the moment February hits, it's back to normal. I've seen it year after year. It becomes packed. The moment it's January, the first week of January, the gym is packed, filled with people. But the moment it's the second week of January, it drops down to basically empty again. It's clear that for a lot of people, the resolution was to get back in shape, to go back to the gym. But within the first week, that resolution is gone. Their resolve to, to complete their goal, it was very weak. It was very tiny. It lost to the first test. The resolve to follow through with their decision was weak. When we filled in those faith promise papers, we essentially made a resolution or a promise that we would give this amount weekly or monthly. And throughout this year, your resolve to fulfill that promise will be tested. There may be some weeks when your income will dip. There may be even some weeks where you're fired from your job. And the income, the flow of income that you were receiving is gone. 
There may be some weeks where your personal business will slow down and you don't make as many sales. There may be some weeks where many bills and payments that you didn't expect all come out of the blue and you are scurrying to pay them off. There may be some weeks where you are hit by some other trial and you don't desire to give to faith promised giving. These, all of these situations are there to test your resolve. How strong is your resolve? Are you willing, are you determined to follow through with your decision to give that amount to faith promise giving? Or will you fall? Will you fill in that paper, but then the next month, the second month after you filled it in, you no longer regard it. You forget about it. You ignore it. And that promise that you made to God, ultimately, you break. Will you have resolve strong enough to follow through with your faith promise giving? Epaphroditus was so resolved to serve God that he put God's work above his own life, not regarding his life, and his own well-being. Such a powerful resolve should motivate us to do the same thing in, in, the, in the context of faith promise giving. In Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And from the brief description that we find of Epaphroditus, we've learned a lot. From his example in life, we learn that we must be willing to serve even if our service is minor. We must be selfless and always wanting to minister and serve others rather than ourselves. And we must have a strong resolve to serve God, willing to sacrifice our own well-being, our our personal interest in order to follow through with serving Him. One commentator said this about this messenger, Epaphroditus risked his life for the work of Christ and the gospel. Nothing should speak more clearly into our complacent, nonchalant attitudes of today. Because compared to Epaphroditus, a lot of our faith, our faith pales in comparison. We aren't as selfless as he was. We aren't as sacrificial as he was. We weren't as bold and courageous as he was. We weren't as, our, our resolve isn't as strong as his was. This should wake us up. Epaphroditus his testimony should encourage us and embolden us to be better in our Christian life. The entire reason why Epaphroditus took on that trip was so that he could be a blessing to one of God's missionaries. That's really it. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest missionaries, the greatest missionary, and all he was doing was trying to be a blessing to that missionary. These days, it's quite difficult to go out and go to these countries and visit and minister to the missionaries. Some of these uh, missionaries, you can't, visit, you can't just visit them. You can't just pop up in the Middle East. You can't just go there on the weekend. You won't even be allowed entry. You can't just be allowed into Russia. You can't just be allowed into China. A lot of these countries, they're closing their, their, their country to foreigners. We can't just visit our missionaries like Epaphroditus did. But right now, the best way we can support our missionaries, besides prayer and encouraging them through emails, is to help support the financial needs. Tonight, if you haven't already, consider giving to Faith Promise. And if you've already promised an amount to God, will you keep that? Will you have a resolve strong enough to keep your word? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday 
for more inspiring messages from God's Word.